0: Welcome to the DrDavidMarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr David Marlin and along with a great team of experts I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts we will discuss science-led research, technology, information and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com. And to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
2: Hello, this is Dr Gillian Tabor, physiotherapist and this podcast, I am going to review some of the presentations that I've listened to today at the ICEL 9 conference in Utrecht in the Netherlands. So ICEL is the International Canine and Equine Locomotion Conference, and as you would expect, it covers a lot of biomechanics, it covers a lot of lameness. There are presentations from vets, there are presentations from uh, biomechanics researchers, from physios, from other therapists, from PhD students. Around Around the world, and I thought I would cover some of the uh, details of the research that has been delivered today because it's been really, really quite interesting. So, the session this morning uh, and this is just day one was talking about machine learning and modeling now, this is a topic that is uh, sort of way out of my comfort zone, but it is absolutely fascinating so the first presentation was about whether uh, deep learning and sort of AI basically can understand whether the horse that it's looking at on the video is actually lame or not now up until now we have had you know the development of gait analysis from 2d to 3d and then to use these inertial motion sensors And now to use markerless tracking, but those are generally used to measure the amount of asymmetry through the upper body. But uh, now we've got uh, people who are trying to train AI systems to see whether they can actually identify that a horse is lame and if so, which which leg it is lame in. So, with this deep learning, it is incredibly complex. So, what you have to do is you have to train the system with information that you know whether it's lame or not. So, in this situation, they induced lameness in 20 horses. Some were made to be lame in the forelimb, um, and then some would be made to lame be lame in the hind limb and they uh, videoed those and they created this training set which they gave into the computer. It went through its neural network and then it out comes with these answers which you can then say whether it was right or wrong. And then once you've done that, you give it a test set of data. Now, although it sounds like a lot of horses that had induced lameness, from that data set, they had 4839 strides to be compared and for the computer to classify. And um, they said that it was easier to classify whether the horse had a lameness, whether it was forelimb or hindlimb, than it was To uh, decide whether or not the horse is sound, which I thought you know was quite interesting, Um, so that uh, is something that is going to become sort of really at the forefront, especially as because to be honest, these AI computers and systems have got a much better. Resolution, much better ability than the human eye to classify certainly subtle lamenesses. But to be fair, these horses were induced lameness. They knew exactly where it was and it was a single limb. So I think it's going to be a while before these computers can actually assess whether a horse uh, has you know, one of these complex lamenesses that is challenging for a human to investigate um so that that session also had an interesting talk about markerless tracking of dogs uh, the challenge with dogs is because of the hair and the coats and the sort of skin movement but uh, this researcher presented some of it, uh, a, information looking at agility jumps and obstacles and found that they had a system that could track the nose and the four paws so the computer could identify them which is the starting point for actually looking at uh, joint angles and sort of the proper kinematics but um, they presented their introduction to it. The same lady that presented the information about uh, classifying lameness with deep learning, she also then presented a short poster on whether the machines could provide a classification of whether they were on um, hard or soft ground, dependent on the upper body movement with the inertial motion sensors. And actually, the AI was 90 90- correct with this and um, I don't know whether humans would be as good as being able to tell that if they couldn't actually see the surface that the horse was moving on and this obviously is going to lead forward into looking at lameness assessments and looking at the difference between you know how the horse moves on the soft and the hard surface. So after that session, um, we then had some sessions on the horse, saddle and rider introduction, um, interaction rather, and then equitation science. And so a physio colleague of mine called Lee Clark, who is a PhD candidate at Sunderland, has actually looked at many differences between the horse simulator and the live horse, and what happens to the rider on it. And his results from his study are that the rider moves their pelvis differently on a live horse as they do to a simulator, and there are different phases of movement as well. So you can't directly compare how a human moves on a simulator as they do on a live horse, which I think has been uh, something that has been. Well some people assume that you could perhaps learn to ride on a simulator and then get on a horse but then those of us that ride live horses know how complex it actually is on a on a a live horse compared with a simulator but now we've got that data to show that. Uh and then next up we had a couple of a series of projects looking at nose bands and this is with Professor Hilary Clayton, Dr Russell McKechnie-Guire, Dr Jane Williams and uh, Vicky Walker from Hartbury. and Dr Clayton, Professor Clayton I should say, presented on the effect of the tightness of the nose bands on facial pressures during standing and then chewing and they looked at two locations so the nasal location and then on the mandible so underneath the jaw and looked at five tightness levels ranging from being able to put two fingers on the nasal plane underneath the cavicin to not being able to put two fingers on there and uh, interestingly obviously well with tightness, there was uh, an increase in both the minimum and maximum pressure on the nasal and mandibular bone. But as I said, interestingly, what I wanted to go on to say is they actually fed the horse a treat, and the pressures were significantly higher when the horse was eating. And interesting that, uh, as she said, the horse was motivated to eat by a treat, so it was voluntary. And so the horse was putting themselves. In a situation where they had much higher pressures because of the restriction of the noseband, but uh, they were still willing to eat. And then uh, Dr. Russell McCartney Guire went on with this study to talk about the effects on ridden horses and compared the pressures on a flash, a caverson, a crank, uh, and a drop noseband. And his results were to report that all the mandibular pressures, so the pressure underneath the jaw, were greater than those on the nasal bone. And as the tightness of the noseband increased, so did the pressure. And the noseband pressure was cyclical with the stride, so it wasn't a a sort of constant pressure. But the pressures that they did find were actually lower than uh, the paper that Professor Clayton reported on to say that um, when the pressures during riding were lower than the pressures when the horse was eating a treat but obviously there's a shorter duration um, there was a significant increase or higher pressures when it came to the crank note band compared with the cavison and the flash um, potentially that is something that is to do with the design of it and then just to carry on that theme, um, one of my colleagues at Hartbury, doc, uh, not quite yet doctor, but her, Vicky Walker, talked about the effect of the nose bands on the eye temperatures and blink rates, so looking at physiological and behavioural responses. And she actually find, found that the tightness of the nose band had no effect on the temperature of the eye. There was an effect of the type of the nose band um, on the temperature. But these differences were less than one degree and neither the type nor the tightness had an effect on the blink rate. So, yeah, it was interesting that these measures that have been shown in other studies to report stress, and I think there's another study on nose bands to say that they have, In this particular study, um, they didn't find those. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting start to more quantitative information about nosebands, rather than so so much of the opinion that is out there. And I think it'll help when it comes to deciding which nosebands and how to perhaps change rules or or, um, improve horse welfare.
0: Planning for your next trip.
2: Uh, Then going on to another study with Dr. uh, uh, McCartney-Guire, he had uh, a poster presentation on a study where they had the comparison of fitting a saddle well. Um, to a saddle that was fitted with one width wider and then uh, using pads underneath. So this medical grade closed cell foam of 13 uh, millimetres. And so they had eight horses in that and they showed that the pressures increased with the wide saddle with the pads. There was an increased mean pressure in the cranial region. So that was the front half of the saddle. So this is suggesting that it's not ideal to fit wide and then pad it up or um, yeah it's obviously going to be better than if you have a wide saddle with no pads um, but it's certainly not better than having a saddle that fits your horse correctly at the moment. So that's useful information for saddlers out there. And then what other studies did we have? There were so many to um, talk about. There was a nice study from um, uh, looking at the the lameness and on a lunge direction on the circle, saying that the lameness was more prominent on the inside, but was different with different nerve blocks. So suggesting that we cannot just assume that um, uh, a lameness is that obvious, when we're going around on one direction and um, investigation is more complex than that Um, and then the other study that I wanted to talk about was um, related to uh, well it's related to using inertial motion sensors and looking at the values of asymmetries So when we do this and we're looking at forelimb lameness or seeing a forelimb lameness with these motion sensors or or 3D motion analysis, we're looking to see whether the asymmetry occurs when the foot is landing on impact, which is called the um, head diff min uh, or when the horse is pushing off which is the max diff and the same with the pelvis you have a, a, a minimum diff of the pelvis movement and a maximum diff of the pelvis movement as well so it's quite easy to get into the the trap of sort of saying oh i've seen this um, i can look at this motion pattern and i can tell you where the lameness comes from uh, but in this study they actually had quite significant numbers of horses, and they looked at the effect of putting the nerve blocks into the 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 relative places of the the um, where they thought the lameness was and then reassessing them. This study also demonstrates how challenging it is to do studies with high numbers of horses because they looked at data from one thousand two hundred and eight horses that were all Measured using Qualysys motion capture, and they looked at those that had a 70% or more improvement as a response to the nerve block and there was only 317 of those horses then they grouped the horses into whether they were forelimb lameness or hindlimb lameness and whether they had a push off uh, an impact or a mixed style of lameness and they only used blocks of these horses if there were more than 10 in each group so they started up with 1200 horses and they went down to you know only a few hundred that they could actually analyze as part of this study so could they tell whether the lameness was coming from the stifle or the suspensories or whether it was coming from the coffin joint or whether it's coming from uh, the fetlock uh, with these motion patterns? Well, the answer is no, you can't. There were no- so there were no differences to whether the horse was in a group with forelimb or hindlimb lameness or the push-off impact or whether it was a mixed lameness. So it... Just reinforces the point that actually investigation is challenging and you still have to have a a correct clinical examination uh, to work out where the lameness is. So, those are the interesting presentations well the ones I thought were interesting presentations today and I thought you might like to hear about them what I will do is I'll put a link to the posters where you can see those online and then also I believe the abstracts are going to be freely available so I will link to those as well Um, we've got another day of research presentations tomorrow and then on Friday it is a practical day at the Utrecht Veter- veterinary hospital, a veterinary clinic, which is going to be absolutely fascinating. And then we carry on with the locomotion in practice presentation, um, sessions on. Saturday and Sunday. I'm presenting tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm presenting on flyball injuries and um, potential causes of injuries in dogs, which is slightly off my usual topic, but it's a PhD student of mine that I'm covering his presentation. Uh, today I presented on seeing whether we could um, reliably assess posture and objectively measure it which is a little bit of a favorite topic area of mine and I'd be happy to share that if anybody is interested and uh, yeah so if you know if um, you've got any questions at all then please do send in a message or otherwise I shall be back with day two
0: luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The DrDavidMarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.